Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I'm Benjamin Hall, and I'm searching for heroes. Brandon Mixon is a co-founder of the Veterans Community Project. It is a charity that builds tiny homes for homeless veterans. But more than that, it seeks to bring communities together and to take care of all veterans who are struggling and finding it difficult to go from military life to civilian life and then helping them rebuild their lives from the bottom up. But for Brandon, this is also very personal. He himself was medically discharged from the army while serving in Afghanistan. And after that, experienced firsthand how difficult it can be to be without the support of the military and the community around you. There was a time when he himself was lost, was struggling, was homeless, and tried to take his own life. But he pulled through, and now he helps others to do the same. His story and the story of Veterans Community Project is one of resilience, of courage, and most importantly, of community. Brandon and I speak about the difficult times he faced and then how he managed to get both him and his family through it and how he went on to create something so positive for so many others and how to this day he keeps saving lives. Here is my conversation with Brandon Mixon. Well, a little bit about my story. You know, um, I grew up in a, uh, I would say, a little bit of a poor city here in Kansas City. Uh, it's called Raytown. And, uh, man, growing up, you know, I was a kid with a learning disability. I had ADD. And, um, you, you know, my parents were all educators, right? And so I was always that kid that was in pull-out classes and, and um uh, in my opinion, it was like I was never good enough, per se, right? And so I never really fit in the rest of my family because the rest of my family, again, very smart educators, doctoral degrees, the whole nine. And here I'm the kid that's, you know, with five other kids in a class, and that's the only way that I could learn, right? Well, that being said, um, you know, high school rolls around, right? It's uh, my, if I remember correctly, it's sophomore year. And, uh, you know, my dad's kind of a parent of the South, right? Uh, him and I kind of got into it. And uh, next thing you know, I ended up kind of fighting back. And he said, all right, son, you know, you're fighting enough to fight back. You're, you're old enough to uh, to be able to be a man and, and move out. So I ended up getting kicked out of the house. And I actually was homeless, uh, just couch surfing and trying to figure out how to make ends meet my sophomore year all the way through uh, senior year, right? And um, it's the darn Army of One commercial that got me. Army of One, family of one, right? That was the slogan that they ran there for a while. And I always like imagined what I was like, you know, I had family, right? The family and the aspect of, of parents and um, a lot of that. But it was one of those, it's like, I never really connected, I felt with anybody, right? Like, mm. and so my process, you know, joining the military, it was more of a, oh crap, like, I'm not going to amount to anything. I need to do something more with my life and I need to join, right? And um, 
that's really one of the reasons why I actually decided to join the military. Originally, I went into Air Force to try to be an Air Force pilot because I love aviation and uh, I'll start colorblind. And they're like, hey, sorry, yeah, we, we can't have you because of your colorblindness. And the Army recruiter, originally, I, the Army commercial was kind of what got me into the door, right? And I was like, oh, I'll just go Air Force. But anyways, Army recruiter came in and it's like, hey, well, what if we get you, you know, on some aircrafts or something? Would you be cool with that? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And literally within uh, a week of me taking basically my test, I found myself at uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky, right? And yeah. what, was that Kentucky, like? what was that like? The, the, the first time you arrived and everything that you've imagined and been told about the military up to then, you walk in the door. Was it, oh. were, you, were you happy to be there or did you think this is not what I expected? Well, okay. So there I was, right? Uh, landed in, um, what is that? The Kentucky airport right there, uh, Louisville airport, right? Mm -hmm. And here, you know, I'm just a, an 18 year old kid backpack and I'm sitting there and there's this drill sergeant, right? I guess these kids went AWOL and started yelling and uh, the drill sergeant started yelling at these kids that went AWOL and there was like, dude, just going to town, right? Like my dad yelled at me, but I like never understood that, right? You know, here's, Here's a kid that, like, I felt like I had a little rough growing up, you know, uh, friends slaying drugs and a lot of that stuff. Now sitting in front of this army recruiter that's yelling at other kids. And I'm, like, crying at this point, right? You know, I thought I was tough. Not as tough as, you know, that drill sergeant in front of me yelling at these other kids. So, like, I kind of, like, walk out of there, right? And I'm like, uh, hey, I, I called my mom at that point. I'm like, hey, I don't think the military is for me. I don't, I don't think I can do it. And she's like no, you need to do this. It's going to be a great thing for you. And, uh, dude, at that point in my head, I was like, well, I'm either in it or I'm going to wuss out. And I'm not going to lie to you. You've There's to commit, a man. You, you, you've got to try to do everything. Like if something feels hard at first, you've got to keep oh. trying at it, man, because you're living proof that look how it ended up. You ended up absolutely loving it, right? You ended it in oh. 82nd blessed but i'm not gonna lie to you there is about i walked about five minutes down the hallway and i'm like nope i'm uh i'll just figure it out i'll go live in the tent on the street before i'm going back to the armor recruiter but no made it back to the armor recruiter uh ended up doing basic uh daring basic to me is really the core building blocks and fundamentals of of what i feel now is fame what i feel now is safe and home you know basic sucked i'm an 18 year old kid in here with you know 20 and 30 year olds right and they were some hard nights i remember literally the pouring down rain um in october and 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 uh in kentucky and being in sand and just you know sitting uh back against my battle buddy because we didn't have trees or anything we'd sit it back we just go back to back right like that's how we would sleep and I just remember like almost crying, but then laughing at the same time because it's pouring down rain, we're soaked, it's cold, the whole nine. And to me at that moment- when, when you don't think that it could get any worse and you, oh. so you can only laugh, you're like, there's no other solution, we're just gonna laugh. I, I've experienced the same in a couple of war zones too, where you've got nothing else, you don't know what else to do, you've got zero, so you look at your friend and you just laugh. You're like, we're in it now, mate, like, we're in it together, brother. Yeah, and that was the moment that I'd realized like, this is family. This is, yeah. this is somebody yeah. that truly has my back, no matter what's going to happen and what, what yeah. it works for me. Like he has my back. And that was the first time in my life. Sorry, I'm getting the goosebumps that like, I felt family that I felt like this is unconditional love in a way, you know what I'm saying? Like, can I just, can I just ask, do you feel that you didn't feel that with your own family? Like, did you not have that, that sort of connection? 
to be honest with you, I, I think as a young kid, I felt like there were stipulations like, Hey, you do a, I provide B as to where in the military, it's not like, it doesn't matter what you provide. We're all in this together. And even literally the weakest link in the military uh, or the strongest week we're we're bonded. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not going to perform unless we all perform, you know? That was 2008. So you, you knew, I mean, Iraq, Afghanistan, they were going on at the time. So you signed up, presumably knowing that you were heading out. To yeah, serve. actually it was 2009. Um, so one of the reasons why I also wanted to join, I still remember being in a classroom in my elementary school when 9-11 happened. Um, I remember uh, uh, my teacher crying, right? When the first tower had been hit and they had said it was a terrorist attack. I remember the feelings that my, my teacher was like, putting on kind of all of us, right? I remember her just crying and the devastation. And I remember when the second tower had got hit, like the the sheer just everybody in the room the silence kind of what was going on um, my dad came and got me that day but i still remember in my head like it's burned like an image of the individual that was this they they captured them on the window coming out of it that instead of you know being on fire they wanted to jump out right and it's still like just burned in my head of like what if i was put in that moment what decision would i make and and it was kind of my way to say you know what like I wish nobody ever has to see a parent or an individual go through that. And so going, knowing that I was going to war, it was like my way to contribute, right? I wanted to give back to the U.S. so the U.S. would never kind of feel that pain. Does that make sense? No, look, 100%. And in fact, like I've covered, you know, I've been out to various countries. I've seen you know, a fair amount of conflict. And I always ask myself exactly the same question. What would it be like if I was in that situation? If I was the one that had to make that decision, how would I respond? And look, last year, I finally had to learn that because I was put in that position. The team was blown up. You know, the, the guys died. I was injured. And I had to suddenly realize what that was going to be like for me. And um, I think it was because of the memories I had, the things I'd seen, that I managed to find strength to get through it. You know, it, it, you have to learn from the things you've seen. You have to use them in the best possible way. And so I guess it's the same thing that you did. You, you had that in your mind. You'd seen it happen. You didn't want it to happen to other people. And so you, you were happy to go out and serve to try and prevent it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's a little my little contribution. And through this 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 kind of contribution in my head i found myself like set at basic and finding this team in love and next thing you know i'm becoming a squad leader right again the kid that was pretty much told his life i'm not going to amount to anything now becoming a squad leader in charge of 20 and 30 year olds from there going to fort eustis virginia for my training school to becoming a basically a squad leader there again right uh graduating ahead of my class um and with honors to uh, next thing I know, uh, being stationed at a Fort Bragg with the 82nd Airborne, right? Um, through this process, I found a real team and family in the whole nine. And man, I was excelling, right? You know, like I, I was on top of the world. I don't think I could have ever been uh, defeated. I didn't see anything like that coming. Um, that sounds, and I know exactly what, what you're going to say, is that you were on top of the world. You had it all. And suddenly, that was suddenly uh, taken away from you, man. So, yes, then that goes into Afghanistan. So I actually volunteered to deploy early to Afghanistan in 2011. Mm -hmm. um, we were taking some of our, our new Blackhawks over to Afghanistan, and uh, we loaded up the C-5. So C-5, we flew over there, uh, landed, unloading a lot of our C-5s, a lot of our luggages, and a lot of that stuff. I actually climbed on top of a Connex box 
And on top of that Comex box, there's actually some suitcases, right? And with those suitcases, uh, my Velcro, my, my flight suit caught the Velcro of one of the bags. And when I threw it off the side, the weight threw me off the side as well. So uh, it fell about 25, 30 feet because of the, the, how the Comex yeah, box was way down. And the rollers and everything else like that landed on my left shoulder, hit my head, kind of didn't think anything of it, right? I just remember my buddies went, dude, are you, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, right? You know, I'm uh, I bet you jump up as well. The adrenaline's already kicking. So oh, yeah. you're on your feet straight away. I'm oh, fine, man. I'm fine. Yeah, I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. Like, let's push on, you know? Because um, I'm in Afghanistan, right? Like, I've been training. It's like, to me, like the same thing as a Super Bowl. I've been training for my whole life for this one mission, and now I'm here. Like, I'm, I don't care what happens. Like, I'm going to stay there. I'm going to complete this mission. We're going to do what we need. Is this, this, is the, this is just as you arrived? This happened right, right as soon as you landed? I arrived in Afghanistan, right? Like, the first yeah. day. Like, and I'm like, man, I'm already getting screwed up, right? But I didn't think anything of it. I just kind of pushed on. And uh, we were actually stationed at a Fob Shank, uh, Afghanistan, which is like RCE-ish. And um, so that time, I just, just kind of kept flying. How long after you fell, how long? Till so, uh, you- actually, about it would have been two and a half, almost three months, right? Um, actually, oh. we we're just doing uh, a, a normal routine mission, and um, I thought so. I saw some incoming right hand side uh, uh, RPG or something, um, and so I had called it. And so we came in uh, to do a roll and landing. We didn't get hit or anything like that. It wasn't some crazy explosion or even helicopter accident. It just happened to be a little bit of a hard on landing. And I didn't lock my inertia reels in time, which I hit kind of the back of the grenade sump of the pilot and really hurt my shoulder again, right? Again, didn't really think too much of it other than some pretty bad shoulder pain. Uh, Again, we weren't really in a firefight or anything like that. I just safer than sorry. And we came into a roll and landing and, um, yeah, from there, uh, I ended up telling the pilot, hey, this is this is what's going on. And they ended up, they ended up bringing me back to the FOB, right? Through that process, uh, I was working with the flight doc. The flight docs, you know what? I actually want to medevac you to uh, Bagram. So I ended up flying over to Bagram. I really didn't get a chance to say much to my battle buddies, right? And, and the aspect of like, hey, yeah. I was more like, hey, I'll be right back. No big deal. I got a yeah, little Because bit- you thought, exactly, you thought you were just coming back again. 100%. You know, I, I got a little bit of shoulder pain. Um, man, I'm going to come right back, right? As for a lot of the guys that are like, dude, BS, like, there's nothing wrong with you, right? <laughs> it looks like there's nothing wrong with me or anything like that. And Bagram, they're like, hey, we actually want to send you to Launchville, Germany. We don't know if we can treat you. And so I'm kind of like scratching my head. I'm like, I got a little bit of shoulder pain. Like, it's dislocated or something. Just put it back in place. You know, send me back into send me back into the play. You know, and uh, next thing you know, I find myself on this KC one thirty five out of uh, Bagram Airfield, and um, man, I am the only guy in in front of me. That's where they put all the wounded, right on these kind of these cots. And you have anything from? Yeah, Britain? I, I've I've been I've been in one of those myself. Yeah, you can't even explain to anybody the smell, the sounds, the the this the ambiance of it, right? And I'm thinking, I'm like, why am I on this medevac bird? I am not, you know, these true heroes that are on these bunks, right? And then there's kind of doctors walking around. I'm like literally the only, the only uh, uh, um, a soldier that's like kind of w- willing and able. You, you know what I'm saying? And so like at this point. It's time- funny. It, 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 it's funny because you said earlier, perhaps you kind of felt that when you were growing up that you didn't quite felt like you fit in and and might you even say that there you were on that plane you started to get those same feelings that why are you there yeah you're you're not fitting in either you shouldn't be in there 
100%. I was feeling that again, right? And, and it was really hard for me. Like, these are true heroes that are literally across the bunk for me that, and some of them essentially gave the ultimate sacrifice to why, why am I here? Like, I'm not them. Why am I here? I'm getting off the, the tarmac right there in, in Longshell, Germany. They ended up taking me right to a CT scan and come to find out I actually crushed my C1, C2, T3, and T4 vertebrae. T4 vertebrae had actually been crushed um, and, and had bulges and a lot of that in it. Uh, dislocated my left soldier and actually soldier shoulder uh, and actually had a TBI was swelling. Um, and I had no clue, right? I thought it was just a shoulder injury, no big deal. Um, but I was still showing a lot of kind of brain swelling and a lot of that and launched and talking with my doctor, I was like, Hey, like, how does this happen? And he kind of explained to me, like it could have been before, obviously it wasn't the hard landing, right? The hard landing was just kind of one of those things that, initially did me in you, you know what i'm saying but luckily at yeah. this point when i arrived there that like hey it could have gotten a lot worse with the swelling and a lot of this stuff we didn't catch us we don't know where you'd be right and so i was very fortunate enough time that they had caught a lot of this stuff and he's like hey you're not going back to afghanistan which really really bothered me right because i'm like no no, no. i don't care right like in my mind right i was like i will give the ultimate sacrifice where i'm just going to you know, live my whole military career and continue to serve. Right. Because that's what I wanted. That was my family. They were everything to me. And now this guy in front of me is trying to say like, yeah, no, you're not going to Afghanistan again. We're going to send you back to Fort Bragg. Right. So find myself in Fort Bragg. Uh, again, they ended up medevacuuming Fort Bragg, going through extensive rehabilitation, cognitive therapy, occupational therapy. Um, um, and through this process, I wasn't really showing any signs. Anytime I would actually put body armor on, it was pulling basically my shoulder out of socket. And so I had an impingement, so I couldn't use my left arm right. And um, it was really bothering me. I was trying to focus on a lot of that. At the same time, um, I actually volunteered to do a funeral detail. It was kind of a way to continue to serve. Um, through this process, we had two Apache pilots that uh, I remember from the FRG meetings and a lot of this that uh, I found myself in Walla Walla, Washington and realizing who his wife was. And I still remember, uh, basically, I didn't hand the flag over, but uh, was next to the gentleman handing the flag over. I made eye contact with her and realized who it was, right? At that point in time, in my mind, it's almost like the sharp pain that went through me. And I was like, Holy crap. Sorry, who, 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 who was it? Oh, what do I, it was not one of my Blackhawk pilots. It's one of the Apache pilots. Uh, I, I don't want to get into names if that's okay, but it, it was just this feeling of, holy cow, like the sadness, right? A lot of us guys don't go full circle in the military, right? We just contribute one part. And to me, it kind of all hit me as to like, but if I was only in Afghanistan, like now that I'm, I'm in the right mindset, I understand that like, He's an Apache pilot. It's not like I could have helped. You, you, you know what I'm saying? I'm a black yeah, guy. I know. And of course, you're looking into the eyes of his family members. Yeah. That's yeah. with them forever, you, you know, and that's where you see the loss, permanent loss forever. You know, I mean, that's, that, that's tricky. More of our conversation right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Got your happy price, price line. I want to sort of move on a little bit to you, you, when you were medically discharged and then how you made the switch over to starting, you know, VCP. Basically, a doctor came to me uh, a couple months actually uh, after that, that funeral and uh, said, hey, man, we're going to medically retire you. I said, no, I don't want with that. I tried fighting it. Nothing they can do about it. Next thing you know, I find myself uh, getting out medically and not figure. Not was, it really the, was it the TBI? Was it the TBI or the vertebrae? I mean, a, a oh, bunch of things. So shoulder, TBI, uh, spinal cord stuff. Um, yeah, pretty much found me unfit for duty. And being told that man was just uh, really a stab in a heart. It was basically telling me that I'm not good enough. And uh, man, that really put me in a, a spiral of depression. And like I said, find myself in Kansas City, you know, staying at my parents' house at the time because I didn't know where to go. And um, to be honest with you, I was like, you know what? My, my friends that, that got killed in Afghanistan, um, some of my, my friends that are now back, you know, from Afghanistan, like, I just want to be with them, right? That was the time that was the happiest in my life. And so I really thought that suicide was the answer. Um, it was just not in the right mindset, right? And... Um, Long story short, I thought I was going to take my life that night during the process of, of uh, the try to take the attempt to take my life. My, my wife is actually caught me in the process of it. It's like, no, we're not, you're not doing this. Wow. You know, you're going Mate, to. I'm sorry, that's, uh, yeah, that, I'm sorry to hear that, man. Did you see just walk in? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she, she uh, basically said, no, you're not going to do this. Uh, we're going to get you with your battle buddies again. Right. And uh, long story short, ended up getting involved where she helped sign me up for uh, another program, uh, another veterans nonprofit, uh, the Warrior Project, actually. And uh, I involved with other veterans, right? Uh, I was I was kind of an excuse language an a hole, right? A lot of the stuff, but that's actually where I met some of the other co founders for VCP now. But uh, man, I still remember meeting with those guys, and they were telling me about you know helping veterans and the, making differences and a lot of that stuff. They were working for other nonprofits at the time, so we all kind of really stayed in touch. Uh, we became really good friends. And um, I actually started a heating and cooling business doing free heating and cooling for veterans, right? Uh, it was kind of my... I, mean, I guess, first of all, I mean, you must have suddenly seen the number, the sheer number of other veterans who were in the same position as you. And maybe you felt that perhaps you were the only one and you were depressed. And as you start to look around, you must say it's terrible how many actually the figures of people veterans out there who don't have anything. So you must have suddenly start to see that and see how many there were. What... What gave you that? What gave you that push to to try and give back? To be honest with you, uh, really, it was when I picked up the phone call when one of the other co-founders called me. Uh, it was actually Veterans Day of 2015. Uh, he had told me that, uh, "Hey, could you help pitch in money to put this guy in a hotel during Veterans Day weekend uh, because he had nowhere to go?" And I was like, well, doesn't he qualify for veteran services? And he's like, no, man, he doesn't at all. And that's the instance that I learned that because of your discharge status, because of your length of time or your military branch, you don't qualify for services. That was mind blowing to me. I automatically assume that, you know, if you started in the military, you qualified for all these military, you know, uh, benefits and the whole nine. And now he's telling me that 
no, this guy can't go to the VA and get any mental health help or any help at all because he's dishonorably discharged, right? And now doesn't qualify for, for any programs in Kansas City. He's not even he's not even looked at as even a veteran, right? Although he served at this point six, I think at six or seven years, um, but because he's honorably dishonorably discharged, he doesn't qualify for anything and literally left on the street. So I was like, yeah, I'm absolutely in whatever you need. And at that moment was kind of the the changing name to me. It was like there's veterans out there that, that got left behind. I had a really good friend while still with the 82nd Gutierrez that uh, essentially got kicked out because of a DUI, right? You know, second deployment, um, saw some stuff, and then uh, really started drinking heavily and got kicked out with a dishonorable discharge. Like, I was with guys that got kicked out for being overweight or, or you know, had drug addiction or alcohol addictions, do the mental health stuff, right? But in the military, no support and, and no support at all for them if they're kicked out for, the, no, for those reasons. Not at all. And I didn't know that, right? Um, and now I'm looking at it's like one of Gutierrez was was my really good friend of like now is out on the streets. Like this is how I viewed it on the streets, and is now going to take his own life or going to freeze to death because we don't have his back. Like to me, it all started kind of clicking at once, and I'm like. There's literally guys that I served with that are now homeless and are not considered a veterans because the way uh, the word veteran is used now, the way their discharge status and a lot of that was. And so we started doing a lot of research trying to figure out, is there a nonprofit in the United States to help any veteran? Well, there really wasn't at the time. And I suppose that's it. You ended up setting up VCP to primarily provide homes small houses to them. Is that the biggest problem that you saw for many of these people? It was, you know, m- more so than getting them you know, the support or jobs. Is that where you had to start? You said the most important thing is to get them off the street, get a roof over their heads, and then we can start building. Originally, uh, we didn't provide transitional housing. We started the nonprofit to really be a place, a bulldog in the community for, for anybody who served, right? They could come to us. We could help with the discharge upgrade. We could help them navigate Catholic charities or all these other programs. Because there's other great programs out there, right? But just not veteran-related. And nobody is putting two to two together. When we started really figuring out, hey, we can get them here. We can get them there. We can do this with them and get them in a hotel here. A lot of the individuals that were falling through the cracks, they had nowhere to go. So then we realized that there was a huge need for transitional housing here in Kansas City. Um, and with that being said, um, the whole reason behind the tiny houses and the concept of tiny houses was not because it was sexy or anything else like that is actually because it relates a lot to my tail, my military, uh, uh, experience, right? I lived in a bee hut in Afghanistan. And to me, it's one of the places that I felt the safest, right? So the tiny houses were actually built and designed similar to my bee hut in Afghanistan. Yes. They're a lot nicer. They have a sink in them and a bathroom and then the whole nine, but it was built from that experience, right? A lot of us struggle with that transition from the military back to civilian life. And so that actually was the whole thought process of the tiny houses. Um, going through that process, we have realized there's nobody in the United States also that builds tiny houses according to code. So we worked with the city of Kansas City to actually build them to IRC codes, which allows us to be inside city limits, which allows us to be able to, when these individuals transition or families transition, they can transition into an apartment or buy their own house or uh, permanent support of the living, right? And so... Um, I mean, that, that, that's, I mean, it's amazing how you how you jumped from getting involved to actually building these homes because what about finance where do you find other people i mean you have an idea but 
you, you haven't described how exactly did you make that happen? Where did you begin? Who did you speak to? Where did you get the community? How did you meet veterans? How did that work? So um, really it was, like I said, there was a group of five of us that um, uh, three, of the, three of the other co-founders were literally, they worked in other nonprofits and, and went out and did a lot of street outreach and a lot of that. My background came in building, but how we funded it? Well, we started telling a lot of the community, hey, this is what we're doing. Initially, a lot of people are like, uh, no, we're good. And so I actually, um, I sold two of my race cars at the time because it kind of fell off the race at the same time and built the very first tiny house model. And we put it on a trailer. Once we did that, I built the very first one in the driveway, put it on this trailer that was a hay trailer. To be honest with you, it was unsafe as, as heck. But then we started really driving that around and fundraising on that little tiny house model, right? But we all emptied our savings accounts. Um, a couple of the co-founders mortgaged their houses and we put our money where our mouth was. We really felt that our battle buddies, um, you know, our, our military battle buddies would have done the same for us. We deserve to do it for them. And once we started doing that is when kind of the ball started rolling, right? The community wrapped around us and said, Hey, love this concept. Let's make it happen. And really the community was responsible for making this happen. The community was the one that said, Hey, what about, what about uh, uh, a navigation campus or a community center that we can provide dental, that we can provide healthcare, that we can do veterinary services, which we provide now down in the village for the vet. Huh. It was the community that did it. We had this crazy idea of providing transitional housing and case managers but not all the wraparound services that now we provide that were literally kind of on the forefront of providing for, for veterans in the community. How do you pick, I mean, there are tens of thousands of veterans who, who need this kind of support. What is the process like for you? You know, you're sadly, you're going to have to pick some, there's a limit to how many houses you can build. So what's the process like uh, for people you give, build houses for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, a lot of people are like, well, do you have a waiting list? We actually don't. The reason why that is, is we're not trying to have individual veterans compete for this process, right? What it is, yeah. is doing a you know, community case management with a lot of these individual veterans and say, hey, where are you at? Do you have a family or do you need to go into an inpatient for, you know, substance abuse, you know, whatever the case may be? And also lean on community partners. You know, uh, now the VA has some other really great housing programs that some of the veterans that come to us actually qualify for. So we're able to work hand in hand with the VA now. Same with Catholic Charities and a lot of that. We're trying to use a lot of the resources in the community. Instead of saying, VCP, we're going to do everything and, and, and spend all the donors out of the whole line. No, what it is is lean on our community partners and the individuals that fall through the cracks that don't qualify for anything else and that are ready for this program are the individuals that we bring in, right? So there's not a waiting process. What it is is trying to say, hey, all right, our, our, we're going to work through this process and when we see them taking kind of initial steps, you know, getting the things that we need them to do, it's like, hey, Actually, you know what? It's time for housing. Are you ready to come in? Are you ready to do this with us? And then do in-house case management. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. On how we yeah do no, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I'm thinking of all the, the variety of different cases you must have seen. And you mentioned families there, first of all. I mean, you must have come across some veterans with families who have nothing, and it's them and their kids trying to find somewhere. I mean, that must be just, A, horrible to see but incredible motivation as well. I mean, you, you see it's the families of veterans too. 
Well, yes. Uh, to be honest with you, what we're finding lately is, and oh, it's crazy. And keep in mind, we're national now. I'm just talking just about Kansas City. We're seeing a lot more fathers ending up with custody of their kids. Well, guess what? There's no shelter, especially in Kansas City, that allows men and kids. Well, now we're seeing a big change in society that a lot of men are ending up with their kids. So down in the village, we're seeing a lot more men getting custody of their kids because they're able to have an address. A lot of people take their address for granted, but an address allows you to do a lot of different things, allows you to be able to get mail. So now you can apply for a job, allows you to be able to say, hey, I have an address, so now my kid can go to school. It changes that mindset. Another thing that we're seeing a really big um, uh, population starting to come in is women with military sexual trauma. Well, a lot of these females that we're seeing have got out with a dishonorable discharge because it's the easiest way to get them out. You're talking about females that... I personally have served with, right, how I view it or how we view it in our head that are kicked out with a dishonorable discharge due to military sexual trauma. That's effed up. That is really messed up. And guess what? Like, I, I can't, yeah, I can't help but think that, I mean, you must, you must have reached out to the VA, to the military. I mean, to say, I mean, how does that process happen? Saying these are areas that must be dealt with. And, have you, have you, do you know what their response is? Do you know where they stand on this? Is there any movement to change this? We have, we are semi working with them, right? The VA has gotten, oh, to, in my opinion, a hundred times better, right? And the different programs now that are out there and they're starting to take a lot of veterans and now that may not qualify, but still able to provide mental health services and a lot of that. But we're, we're getting there. We're trying to change the forefront and in, in writing the legislation and a lot of that stuff. But keep in mind, um, we never took federal funding before. We are completely privately funded. And the reason why that is, that limits on who we can and can't help if we take federal funding. So we stay 100% privately funded. So we're, we're kind of still on the ground figuring out how do we provide the best services for the veterans on the ground instead of saying, hey, you know, military or VA or other nonprofits, you messed up. No, what we're doing is saying, hey, all right, we're bringing them in. Let's figure out how to do this together and keep triaging, right? You, you get what I'm saying? We're still kind yeah, of that. And it has to be together because, for example, it's not just about providing someone with a house or shelter. It's about that. Then it's about helping them find a job and a career. It's about helping their children find schools. It's about making sure that the med- you know, So there are so many different levels that, that you need to get someone, not just to give them one little step up, but to get them right back into the middle of society and totally you know, taken care of. And I suppose that's why you need the whole community of people to do different things to help them. 100%. It's, it's building, you know, in a lot of cases, it's just not you know, one day or, or sometimes even one incident that leads someone to be homeless or eliminate all of their network of support. And so when they're here uh, in the village, you know, we're, we're, we're focusing on, hey, what, what, how did you become homeless? What led to these instances and really build the program around their individual needs, right? As for a lot of yeah. other programs are, hey, you have to do A, B, C, D in order to complete the program. It's not like that here. The program is completely based on, Hey, what are your goals? Do you want to go to college? We literally had individuals that had a uh, dishonorably discharged right on the street. The, like you think that man, with, I, I'm not trying to sound like bad, but even face tattoos and stuff like that. They're like, Oh man, like even me that I was very, uh, um, what's stereotyping I literally on the Dean's list for one of the most recognized colleges here and is now graduating and doing good. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like we're taking individuals that really nobody gave a chance and said, I believe in you. Like we're going to figure this out together. 
not only helping them get, you know, college again, get into, Hey, it's not just that I'm going to throw you here. You need to get a job and then transition. No. What is your life goal? What are we going to do? How do we yeah. long-term? And that's where the difference is made is saying, Hey, we're going to do this together. And you are alongside as many of them for that whole process. And I imagine you must've had some conversations at the very beginning, speaking to that guy or that, that girl on the street who thinks they have nothing. And you are talking to them. You've still got it. And I imagine you've had to convey that message a few times. And I, I wonder if you say to them, I know what that's like. I have been there and then use that to, to will them on. But I mean, you must've saved lives just by encouraging people, just getting them back on their feet. I'm not going to say, to be honest with you, that that I did that. I played a very small part in the community has given us vets a second chance and say, we believe in you, the difference. And this didn't really hit me. I was in Sioux Falls. That's one of our expansion cities uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I was talking with, with, with Mike as one of the veterans there. And um, he was telling me a story, right? And then he had said, you know what, but it, you guys are just another nonprofit and I'm just another number to you. And I looked over to Mike and I'm like, what do you mean, Mike? He's like, man, I've just been a number my whole life. And I said, Mike, man, you're not a number. You're my brother. Like, we would have served together in the military. Like I love you unconditionally. And this is home. Like I'm going to have your back and we're going to figure this out together. He started crying, man. I have never had a vet. Like I didn't know what to do. Cause like, I'm not used to people crying coming in front of me. He starts crying. And he's like, I, I'm not a number to you. And I'm like, no, man, I don't, I don't care about the money. And there's not a money associated to you with other, like with other nonprofits, right? You're Mike to us. Like you matter. Your life matters. Like, you deserve that, that chance, brother. And you know what? Like yeah. he is the hospital in like the last 15 years, he decided to go to the hospital because he finally trusted us and believed in us and come to find out he had some severe medical issues they, they told us if we didn't get him to the hospital with within that week, he just would have died in his house. Like talk about like You're saving lives, man. You're saving lives. We'll be back in a moment with searching for heroes. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I know you've spoken in the past about for many people and for people for veterans they they leave the military they perhaps they don't know how to express how they're feeling or the the difficulties they're facing they keep it inside somewhat um i guess that must be one of the things you also try to teach them is you you've also got to speak up if you need something you've got to come to us you know it has to be two ways 100%. I, I think a lot of people are familiar with the statistic of the 22 vets that commit suicide today. 16 of those vets are not accessing any types of services. They're not reaching out to anybody before they commit suicide. Huh. And that is mind-blowing. It's my job as a fellow veteran and a citizen of the United States to make sure that we're doing everything we can to give that resource to make my other brothers and sisters feel like, you know what, Like, if I'm going to reach out to somebody, we have one chance. Let's, let's make sure that one chance is successful when we give them the opportunity to say, hey, and, I, and for us to say, you're not alone. It's okay to feel that way sometimes, but I'm here. I have your back. And unfortunately, that message is hard to convey to a lot of people, but we're, 
we're working through it together and, and making sure that other veterans feel safe and, and feel like they are home and that they, no matter what their crazy thoughts are, they have somebody that has their back. If you had to give advice, if you had to give someone, you know, say something to someone who was right at the bottom, who didn't think they could move forward to encourage them on a veteran, what, what would you say? What would you say to them? Man, that's a hard one, right? Because like that almost makes you dig deep down inside is, uh, man, because you've gone through it too. You you had to find that yourself when you were, you know, almost at the bottom. I think it, I remind myself that I'm not alone, that there are, are other military battle buddies out there that we still have each other's back. We'll still love each other unconditionally. And you just it's kind of like take my hand, you know? Like, we got this. I have your back. You know, that's, I think that's the message that I want to convey to somebody is like, look, man, I know stuff is hard. I know things that you're going through right now and you're struggling and it's all going to be okay. I promise. You know, like I remember holding that gun, right? I remember sitting there saying, I'm not good enough. And the message I want to convey is you are good enough. It's going to be okay. Like I'm not going to leave you behind. Like we're done. Our military pass might be over, but we're not done serving and we can do this together. Like I'm not going to leave you behind. I think that's the message that I want to convey. There's other vets out there. We're not going to leave you behind, man. Like we're in this together. Totally. What would you say also to family members? Because we talk all the time about veterans. We talk all the time about how they go through, you know, almost impossible situations and how they fit into the real world and they leave. But their family members, their wife, their, their kids are around them too. And I think we've got to, really always focus and look at them too and find how they can come together when so often you come back from being abroad and you feel like you're slightly torn apart. Damn, that's a hard one. Um, just continue. How, 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 how did you feel? I mean, how did you feel when you came back? You had been discharged. And you know, what was that like with your wife? And how did you have to, to try and build a new life with her? I mean, it's hard because... I know I'm still not in the military anymore, but like, to me, that was everything. Not saying my wife doesn't matter, but it's almost like I had more unconditional love for my battle buddies that I served within my, my own wife in a way. Right. And it's hard to convey that message to her, but it's like, I just need her to support me and understand me and, and, and be my new battle buddy. Right. Say, Hey, we're going to figure this out together. Instead of a lot of families that are like, I don't know what's wrong with you. You're crazy. See you is like, say, no, Hey, like, I may not understand you. Will you help, help me understand? Like, I'm not judging you. Like I'm here for you and I have your back. I think that's the biggest message that I want to convey to families, right? No matter if it's a husband or a wife or families is like, just sit down and have our back instead of being judgmental. Um, I, I still remember the words when I came home that my dad was like, you need to grow up and go get a job. Like he had no clue that like, all I wanted to do is be in Afghanistan. Now he's telling me the way I viewed it, I'm, I'm being a little baby. I need to grow up and get a job. And the things that sit and experiences that I have don't matter anymore. That was the past. Like, that's the hardest, like that time in my life to find the person I am here today. And that did not matter to anybody, you know? What's your relationship like, like with your parents at the moment? I mean, has that, uh, you know, it's, it's really kind of changed. Um, I think they're still trying to figure out the military thing, but since then my little brother has joined the military and now, man, they have uh, a lot of military relics around their house. And, and my dad raised a, a 
proud, you know, you know, army veteran shirt and the army dad shirt. Now, um, I still don't think they fully get it, but I think my experience through VCP and being very vocal about the experiences of veterans and my little brother experiencing it has changed their mindset. You know, I still think they're hung up on some things, but it was the fact that I think my dad kind of sat back and it was like, he, he's never told me, I don't think he'll ever tell me, but I feel that he has my back now and that's been a game changer. Yeah. So look, I mean, talk about all the amazing things you've done and the people you've helped and uh, what, what do you see happening next? Like, where's the next step? How do you keep moving this forward? So currently we're um, in, in six expansion cities, right? Um, we're currently in, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Longmont, Colorado. So it's kind of suburb of Denver, um, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, St. Louis, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And the last one, uh, we haven't announced it yet. So you get breaking news. Uh, Glendale, Arizona, it looks like. So there's still my brothers and sisters out there that are struggling and we're not going to leave them behind. You know, we're going to be in a community soon with you. And, and what I challenge, you know, the people that are listening to this podcast today is get involved. It doesn't have to be our nonprofit, but get involved with your local nonprofit and go out there and, and, and in our case, in our nonprofit, help build the tiny houses. These aren't, you know, necessarily built by construction workers. These are built by you. You're the ones inserting the windows. You're the ones helping lay the path and put the roof on these and everything else like that. Like, I would love for you to get involved and, and kind of make that impact and difference. You know, um, anybody can make a difference, you know, be it time, talent, or treasure. Like it's get involved in your community. You never know the life you're going to change or the impact you're going to have until you do it. And so um, that's what's next, man. You know, we're expanding and we used to have not only our back, but other nonprofits backs in that community to make a change in their community. Yeah, spot on. Brandon, I don't think we could leave it in a better way. Anyone who's listening, get out there, help. Every single bit of help, you know, makes a difference. I mean, I know what I went through last year, it was the voices and the people who reached out to me, the people who picked me up, who helped me. That gets you through. And just like you're saying, pass it on, help other people. It makes us stronger. It makes us a better community. There is nothing that we can't do if we all work together, just like you have shown. So look, First of all, thank you so much for being on with us uh, today. We really appreciate it. Keep doing what you're doing, man. It's amazing. And uh, quick shout out for everyone. Where would they like, if they can help you, where can they reach out to? Yeah, so vcp.org or veteranscommunityproject.org. Uh, there's a donate tab or info tab on Bring Me to Your City. But uh, no, um, again, we would love to be in every city. We'd love to help anybody, any veterans that are listening to the podcast, reach out, man. Like, I'm serious. I have your back. We're going to figure this out. Like, there's no reason to take your life, man. Like, I promise you, you're worth it. And I love you. And I appreciate everything you do. Like, give us that opportunity. Give me that opportunity. Brandon, what a pleasure to meet you, sir. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope we get to chat again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, brother. I think that it's only the people who have gone through difficult moments who are the ones that can then help others go through the same. And I think that's exactly what we saw in Brandon today. Now, Brandon was right at the bottom. He was trying to take his own life, and yet he managed to stop himself, and he managed to realize exactly the most important thing in the world was his family and his community, and they both saved him. And as a result of what he went through, he was able to use those experiences to help others going through the same thing, and he's gone on to save many lives. I suppose the big question is, how did he manage to turn that corner? 
And I think the answer is community. He was surrounded by community that encouraged him and helped him, showed him what he could do, and then guided him on the path to do so. And now he is that community, and he's showing people, he's surrounding people. And I think it just reminds us that support creates support. It always passes it on. Thanks for listening to Searching for Heroes. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.